Turn with me over to, where am I going to go? Romans chapter 14. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this. I, I uh, intended to spend about a week, one service, on this issue of doubt. Remember we were talking the last time we were together? And we were talking about the concept of doubt from Matthew chapter uh, 21. So why don't, you, why don't you just flip there very quickly for me. I'll go there myself. And let's just kind of read where we started, catch everybody up that's, that's looking to get caught up. In Matthew 21, 21, makes it really easy to remember if you ever want to act cool when you're sharing some, a scripture with somebody, then just tell them this one is a good one. And it says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do that which is done uh, to the fig tree, but you should also say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt, oh no, excuse me, and it shall be done. Uh, all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive them. So we would almost say, wow, this is really cool if we would just say, verily I say unto you, if you have faith and you shall not only do unto this mountain, you know, be thou cast in the sea, but it says if you will faith, you will have faith and doubt not. And you remember from Luke chapter 11, 23 and 24, where Jesus says pretty much the same thing. Uh, but he says, and he also makes sure, Luke speaking, when he was writing it down, that this issue of doubt not was a critical component in the release of supernatural ability, or as we're sort of talking about it in the middle of this context of this teaching, that in the release of eternal life, this God kind of life that turns dead things into living things, sick things into healthy things, lack things into abundant things, broken thing into fixed things, bad things into good things, that this, this life of God that flows out from inside of a believer only flows out if there's a doubt not equation that we're also working on. So much so that I would very much say that the faith is really not the problem anymore. I mean, the word of God in our world right now, we have so much faith, so much word. We just know the Bible Amen. in so many different areas. I mean, when you go to 100 years ago and Jesus, God, God is good was not a concept that existed inside of Christianity. God heals. It was not a concept. God will, pro will prosper you and believes in you and will ready to sow into your... That was not a concept. The dream inside of the heart of a Christian and God's purpose to escalate that dream in such a way that... It, that was not a concept in Christianity. Right. Nowadays, these concepts are kind of like, well, everybody's always had this, right? No. It just seemed commonplace to us because of the awesome, amazing generation that we have come into that has, has dissected and, you know, there's been so many people that have had the ability to minister through television and radio and conferences. All this, we never used to be able to have that kind of stuff. Nowadays, heck, you could jump on your iPhone and have, listen to 15 people preaching while I'm preaching tonight. And so we live in this amazing world where the truth of the scriptures has really been like it's never been before. I wouldn't even say, quite frankly, that the apostles who spent three years listening to Jesus knew as much, uh, had, an, had as much knowledge of the scripture as you do. The problem is that when we add this doubt not component to it, then, or the doubt component into the equation, clearly from what Jesus is saying here, that supernatural power, it's like the battery in your car. If you unplug one of the terminals, it doesn't matter how strong the battery is. 
that car is not going to start. The lights are not going to turn on because one of the battery terminals has been disconnected. And so when you look at this, you're, we, ha we have to kind of grow in our, uh, or not to say that, we're, we've become really good at you know, a one-handed one golf swing. The problem is, is that we need both hands on the club. We need faith on the club and we need doubt not on the club. We need to develop in our skill of not doubting so that when we are approaching a situation, we become super aware of the forces of doubt as it, as it pertains to the release of supernatural power in the moment as it goes towards the situation that you're trying to project it towards. Because if I was the devil, which some of you perhaps think, If, if I was the devil, I would, if faith is being increased, I would make sure that at exact moment when there's a release of supernatural power, he plugs in some doubt right there. It's almost like you can work for 10 years to get faith on something. If you believe in your heart and doubt not, and then he shows up at the 11th hour, right before you're about to lay your hands on that person or declare the word of God to that person or smile at that person or bless that person. And at the very moment of connection, he just pops a little bit of doubt in there. And if we're not familiar with the mechanism of doubt, then we can all of a sudden, whoa, 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 whoa. and you're, you can build, how many of you know, you can build a doubt thing? You know, it's kind of like you're, you know, if, if we're standing on the, you know, the roof of the building, and as long as you're in the middle of, man, we can have church in the middle of that roof up there when we were there last year. You know, we can do church. It's just so amazing. You know, I have no fear of heights at all. Many of the guys said that. I don't, I'm not afraid of heights. And I say, yeah, but go over there by the edge. <laughs> Nobody's afraid of heights in the middle, right? But if you, can, if you imagine we're working over here, working over here, and so we're going to deal with the fear, if you have a fear of heights or whatever, you can be not afraid of spiders and really go and get a rhema done, and I'm not afraid of spiders anymore. So, okay, put out your hand. Now, that's the moment when doubt is present, uh, has the most power, right? If God's going to protect me and keep me, and I go towards the edge of the roof, now I decide right here, am I going to doubt or not? Because this is where the pressure is going to come at that exact moment. So we have to become skillful as the release of supernatural power. You know, we've been in this situation lots of times. If you imagine what it must be like for Benny Hinn or one of these guys that are, you know, not only are they anointed evangelists and powerful people, they're also on camera going around the world for a billion people to watch them, right? And then somebody runs a gurney into the, into the building, you know, some person just died and we're on camera now, or that person has just been diagnosed with some very, very bad thing, and now it's like all eyes, not only in person, but on camera and around the world, and it's like, okay, right? It's like watching a you know, Sunday afternoon golf game. That putt doesn't look that hard. The problem is there's 50 million people watching him putt. That's the brilliance of it. You know, imagine the nervousness that is going through that person's body, knowing that, man, if I'm going to fail right now, I'm going to fail in front of everybody. But don't worry. First place is a billion dollars. Second place is lunch. So there's not much, you know, 
So you miss this putt, you lose a lot. See, all of these forces, you know, that are at play at the moment of execution, if we don't become skillful at the moment of execution, then doesn't matter what we have done. That's what I, you know, it's kind of the unfortunate part about, the, about this, the, the way the mechanics of this world work is if we're not ready to pull it together and keep ourselves on track at the moment of execution, when the bill comes in the mail, when the situation presents itself, when you're walking through the, you know, you get, you know, you get Ebenezer Scrooge going through the, the grocery store, and it's like, oh, you know, the, you know, let's go to the next person, honey. This is, you know, ain't no joy happening here today. <laughs> the pressure is always there, right? The pressure is always there. And so what we have to do is, and I think the, way, the reason the Holy Spirit has just had me back here, I'm trying to move on. I got lots to teach you on eternal life. <laughs> That's right, you know. But it's, uh, this is where we, we have to stay here right now. Because we have to get this. We have to really be able to understand uh, how do you as a human being face the doubt in such a way that it is eliminated at the moment of execution, at the moment where God wants the release of that thing into your life, into your situation, into your marriage, into your children, into your finances, into your physical body. You know, in ministry times when you're up here at the altar or you have an opportunity to pray for somebody or whatever it would be, that you have that, you're just there doubt nodding. Yeah. And you know how to execute. You know how to get that thing out of your soul and get your soul back into alignment. I think that's what the Holy Spirit is very busy with us about here. Are you in Romans chapter 14? Uh, let me just read, let's just take a moment and read the scriptures because there's something that the Lord began to speak to me about called a culture of doubt. And you're going to say, yeah, we sure do. You know, this world that we live in, I'm telling you, like, boy, the TVs, everything, it's just a culture of doubt. Every day there's doubt, doubt, doubt. You know, they'll say, yes, good things are happening, but all these other things could also. And that's very true, that the world around us has got a lot of doubt. And the more information that is available, the more doubt that there is available for a person to think about. Because before, you never used to know that spiders can bite you and they hurt, but now there's 17 bazillion species of spider that knew. And so the more information we have, as actually what the Lord said to me was, if you take knowledge, knowledge plus unbelief equals doubt. And so we're going to come back to that point in a minute. Let me just tell you a little bit of my story. First, let's read the scriptures. In verse 10 there, it says, why do you judge, uh, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I, ha as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess uh, uh, shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. This is now focus now. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather, but rather resolve this, or judge each other this way, your Bible might say. King James says, my, you know, the Dakes Bible says, but, judge, but rather judge each other this way. So there is a permission that we have been given to judge one another. 
Now it says it starts off by there, don't judge each other. It's kind of a contradiction. You've got to dig into this. But here's what I do want you to judge each other on. Not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So I'm thinking about, I wonder how we would ever do that. I know, Jesus Paul speaking now, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Now, remember, we're talking about food here. Remember, the, the, and we're going to talk about food all the time, but I want you to hear the, con the concept of food in the time that Paul is living was an enormously contentious issue. Even it's, it's kind of keeps showing up. Even, you know, where, where Peter is there with the sheet that comes down and the, all the creepy crawly things and the Lord says, take and eat. He's talking about eating things that are unclean. It's kind of like, a, you know, there's this, they, the, the Bible really focuses on circumcision and it really focuses on food. Because to, <laughs> to the Jewish people, they had these really whacked rules when it came to food. How you touch it, how you clean it, how you kill it, how you cook it, how you eat it, when you eat it, all of these kind of things. And so what Paul is dealing with here, we don't really have this preoccupation with all the kosher rules around food, at least for the most part. But I can tell you, there is a resurgence in this area in our world. There, you know, all this organic and super organic and, you know, mega super organic and all of these kind of things, vitamins, and, and I'm into all that stuff, you know. But I can tell you, there is a caveat in the middle of all of this because what this scripture is talking about. So a lot of us can relate to what Paul is talking about, that you can eat anything. And it's like all of you vegans are going, I can't. Right, that's all bad for you, hormones and pesticides and all this. Yeah. I'm not saying go out and, you know, latch yourself to the back of a pesticide truck. But I'm telling you, there is a key force that you have to be aware of because we can often put our confidence in the fact that we can eat super organic food. Rather than what we need to do is put ourselves into the place where faith in our world, you know, faith for uh, the longevity that we need to be fully activated in our lives. If I'm sitting there and I'm having a cup of coffee and I'm hearing, you know, two sugars, eh? Oof, you know that the, uh... now what that, realize, uh, watch this. Let me get down to the where the meat is. We're not in the meat yet. So I, I'm convinced, Paul says, by the Lord Jesus, nothing unclean. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, listen, to him it is unclean. If your brother is grieved because of your food, and it's, it's, he's grieved because, your is italicized. If he's grieved because of food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now I want to come back to the point. He's, he kind of goes off on a little bit of a tangent there. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. 
do not destroy, this is, I have this in, in uh, highlight, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Or, if we translate that further, all the rules about right and wrong. So he's saying here, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of all the rules about what is right and wrong. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats or does what is wrong with offense. And that word offense is a word that talks about judgment or... Um, let me get you the, uh, the Greek word is. And it's a word that says a stumbling block, an obstacle in the way which if one strikes his foot against it, he will stumble or fall. That's what that word offense means. So let's read it again. All things indeed are pure. And this, I know this is going to challenge the heck out of you, and that's what the point I think is. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with a stumbling block in front of him, or does the wrong thing with a stumbling block in front of him. Okay, watch. It's, it's one thing for a person to do the wrong thing. Oh dear, I can feel all this jumping back at me. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the grace to understand this concept so that we can defeat these forces of doubt in our lives and in, the love, in those we love and those that we're called to minister to. So Holy Spirit, help us to understand the, what the scripture is talking about. Okay. It's one thing for us to do something that is wrong. It's a very, very different thing for us to do something that is wrong and know that it's wrong. Okay. Um, all right, let me get a, watch this. Remember when we were, oh, let me, let me give you my little example. Now that, now that I have this, because I'm going to, hopefully I'll get the chance to use these things. I'll tell you my little story. When I, the first time that I golfed, it's kind of a cute story. I used to work for General Motors bef way before, a long time ago when I got out of university. And we were taken away to this park, Waskasud Park up in northern Saskatchewan, for a golf tournament, it's kind of stuff you do when you're getting high paid and don't have anything else to do. <laughs> and so, this, but they, they would told me that we were going to play golf up at this thing. I'd never played golf in my entire life. I thought golf was a dumb sport. I th still think it's a dumb sport, but I do it anyways. <laughs> um, and so they took us up to this park. And so anyways, it's, you know, you got that on your calendar, like six weeks from now, we're going to go up to this meeting. We're going to do some stuff. And then we're going to go have this golf game. The golf game part of it kind of slipped my mind. And a couple days before we we're about to leave for Waskasu National Park, one of my buddies, Frank Pirelli, Peroni, Frank Perret, no, that's uh, the writer. I think it was Frank Pirelli, his name was. My best friend of all time, never forget him. And so he's kind of, he's a super golfer. And so he's excited about the fact, he got, the meeting is fun and all, but he can't wait to get up to this park and play golf. And all of a sudden, I realized, oh, yeah, we're playing golf. So I had to run out to grad sales. Remember that green vinyl golf bag I bought? So I paid $10 or $15 for this golf set, golf green vinyl golf bag with a bunch of wooden clubs in it. So you can imagine how cool I looked showing up to an executive golf game with my brand spanking new pair of really, really old golf clubs. 
And so anyways, I had my gear, and I, wasn't, I still wasn't really thinking about it. You know, it was off my radar. I was excited just to be able to go or whatever we were going to be doing. And I, and I never played golf before, so I never really knew the format. I never watched it on television. And so I never really got the concept. So then I show up now. I'm, you know, I'm, this is now the morning of, Saturday morning of this meeting, and I, we're about to go play golf. So anyways, I show up, you know, you drive up and you're kind of realizing that you're at this golf course, you're supposed to meet there for the morning, you know, it's at 7.30 in the morning or something like that. And so we get up and all of a sudden there's like, you know, maybe 75 or 100 of the people that are there. So there's a whole crowd of people. I didn't really realize there was that many people. And so then they, you know, they line up and do all of their thing. And all of a sudden I realize, holy Toledo, they're all going to be in a horseshoe. <laughs> and then per first person goes up and then... You know, they go up and they tee themselves up and there's all these other people that they're going to work with for the rest of their natural lives that are watching them as they're doing this. And all of a sudden I'm realizing I am like woefully unprepared for this moment. And I look at my name and my name is like 10th on the list. So here I am, I'm standing there like, I got this one, folks. And all I'm doing is I'm watching the other nine guys to even know what you even do. So they kind of get up there, and I'm watching them as they do their thing, and they're sort of, you know, whatever doesn't look that hard to me. So I did get the idea. The idea was hit the ball that way. I got, you know, that's what the other guys did. This first tee, it kind of goes, I, was, I can still see it in my mind. It's just indelibly etched now. So this first tee kind of elevates away from you like that, and there's this enormous pine tree like only northern Saskatchewan can make in the middle of this fairway. And I'm thinking to myself, what nut put a tree in the middle of the golf course? I'm looking for someone to blame here already. I need an out on what I know is just going to be a tragic end to my pitiful career. So anyways, I, I didn't know what I was doing, so I was just watching the guy out there. So here's, here's how my story goes. I'm very proud of this story. So Ian stands up there, and he's and now he, nothing like this. This is a really fancy club compared to the one that I had out in Saskatchewan. I should have kept it for this very reason. So I kind of stand up there. You know, I'm just completely beside myself wondering I'm going to be like, you know, these guys are golfers. They've done this before, and, they're, and they care about the game. You know, like, no fooling around. This is serious. So I just sort of stand up there, and I put my ball just like they did, wiggle my bum just like they did, you know. So I don't know why you did that. You just did that. That's what they all did, you know, kind of like a, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Do you do that? Do you do the, I even do it still the, today. I don't, still don't know why you do that. You know, you just kind of do a, maybe it's for the camera, you know, if they're on I tell you what happened? Do you want to hear the end of the story? So I stand up there. I do what they do, you know, like Elmer Fudd used to do, you know. What's the guy's name? Address the ball. Hello, ball. That's all I knew about golf. So I'm doing all these kind of things. I line up to the ball. I wiggle myself, and I hit that ball. Can I tell you something? The ball went zooming up like this, curved around the tree, and landed on the other side of the tree, dead center, on the fairway. Can I tell you what happened for the rest of the 18 holes? 
because it sure looked like I was a prodigy. But from there, I decided, you know, I'm pretty good at this game. I should learn. And so I was golfing. You golf with four, four other guys. That's how you, two, three other guys, you foursome. And so for the rest of the way around there, they started to teach me. As I told them, I'd, uh, yeah, before I hurt somebody. Before, they started to teach me. <laughs> no, let me come back. So as soon as you do it, this is what's happening now, because you should, you should straighten your arm. That's what they tell you. This, your, your lead arm, I bat from the wrong side of the ball, but the, you've got to do this, straighten this arm, keep this one bent, shoulder up, down, over, bend your knees, look at the ball, <laughs> tilt forward, tilt. And they start giving me all the rules. How do you think it went after that? <laughs> Why? Because I started to, Barb? Doubt. Doubt. I didn't realize this at the time. The problem that we have is the more of the rules that you have to do in order to get this thing organized, your body's freaking out, not really knowing what to do. Compared to the first time where I just said, it looks like it's easy, and just the way the sucker went, I wish I've never repeated the shot ever since then. This is why that story is so important. Because in the kingdom, we actually have developed a, a culture of doubt in churches. And this is kind of what we're talking about here. That we are, you know, well, if you're going to get a new job, here's what I need you to do. I pray in tongues. I need you to read your Bible. got to get to church. you got to, you know, genuflect. got to do, you know, do all of the things. And, you know, you, on and on and on, we have all of these rules that you have to follow now that you're going to get a new job or you're going to get married or you're going to go believe for something. Or, and we're going to give you the, 70, the list of 72 things that you have to do. If you don't do them right, it's not going to work, is, the, is the, uh, the assumption behind the list. It's the assumed reason the list exists is because if you don't do all of these things, then it's not going to work for you. So then when you're in there, you, when you're, you're, when you're, you know, because no matter what the situation is, you're, you're, off, you're standing at the edge of the cliff. No matter what the situation, you're always going to find yourself at one point in time right here. At which time you're zipping through the 72 items in the list. And most of them are subjective. Did you pray in tongues? Well, yes. Well, how much? Were you focused? Did you have an image in your mind? Is it clear? These are all subjective things. The subjectivity thing is the, is the meat and potatoes for the doubt team. As they come to us and they say, you didn't pray long enough. I think you had, you, you, you had, you know, Technicolor 3D, but you didn't add the Dolby Digital, right? And so there's all of these things that start to come into the equation that give the other team the ability to get us to doubt. Realizing now that the ability to doubt is going to short circuit the power that is actually right now resident on the inside of you that is ready to go to fix the problem. Not like you've got to try to get it to fix the problem. It will just fix the problem. The problem, the, the reason it won't is because of the doubt. And so, go on with us here. Now, all things indeed are pure. It is evil for the man who eats with the stumbling block there. It's, it's a very different thing for somebody to do the wrong thing, thinking that it's the right thing to do, because everybody does think it's, they do the right thing. Right? There's many a way that seems right to a man. 
right? So everybody, nobody decides to do the wrong thing. Even the most heinous of problems or the stupidest thing somebody has ever done, it was still done that with them thinking that it's the right thing to do. The problem that you get into is the doubt. When doubt starts to become part of the equation, even something that done wrong would get the right result. This is the crazy part. I know people who do stuff in business that is crazy, but they still, do, they, they still get good results. How do they do that? It's because they activate the real key ingredient, and that is faith. And they do it without any doubt whatsoever. Do you see what the problem is here? Then we come into the kingdom. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not giving you license to do the wrong thing. Can I tell you what the wrong thing produces? Killing, stealing, and destroying. And so even though the person may have been very successful in accomplishing the thing they set out to accomplish, they're not going to feel the success of it. It's still going to rot them. It's still going to be shadows and dust. It's still going to bring terrible things into their lives, but they're going to do it successfully if they attack it with the faith and not doubt. Do you understand the difference here? Wrong stuff always produces the wrong thing. The problem is, is we become, when you try to flip this around the other way, we're now going and doing the right thing but we're doing the right thing with all kinds of doubt. And that's short-circuiting the system. And what, what, why this sounds so funny, we struggle with this in the kingdom, is because it sounds like what God is saying, you can just go do whatever you want. And it's not true. There's still right and wrong. There's still the, the, the ways that are unto life, and there are the ways are unto death. There's still the stuff that produces killing, stealing, and destroying, and there's still those things that produce life and life abundantly. The deception produces one, and truth produces the other. The problem is that people who become skillful at using deception are become skillful at using fear, dread, and selfishness. And it works. That it shouldn't work. I would have loved it if it just wouldn't work. But it does work. They use fear and mix fear with a negative expectation of the future. And they make things happen because of this fear and negative expectation or this, this wolf that they're fighting at the door. And they actually get stuff done and accomplish things because they're aligned with their negative. But at least they're, they're completely aligned. What we need to become in the kingdom, what this is talking about, is when people come into the kingdom and they are doing the wrong thing. He's eating meat in his, this example. Or in, 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 uh, in Corinthians it says, meat that has been sacrificed to, to idols. When people are doing that now... You, you, Paul, this is now, let's, let's say that, that, well, you can't use Paul because that would really get confusing. So if Jessica was coming to me, Jessica knew that this hamburger had been sacrificed to an idol. And she knew that was bad. And so then I go and, and she watches me. She, I, she knows that I also know that the meat was sacrificed to idols. But I go there and I eat it. 
Because I'm already free. Prophetically, what Pastor Tina was saying earlier, that, we're been, we're, that we have this new liberty. But I'm not supposed to eat the meat. Not because I think it's bad to eat the meat. What are the gods to me? I know I serve the God. And there ain't no other gods. And so, you know, go and sacrifice to somebody. There ain't nobody there that I need to worry about. But that person is thinking because of their mindset that I should not be eating that meat. And I'm going to cause that person to stumble by putting my situation, my belief system into their lives when they don't believe in what they are doing or what it, they don't believe in what I am doing. Okay, now watch this. When we are dealing with these kind of issues, what's going to happen now is that if I am set free, so I eat the hamburger, and I turn to Jessica, and I go, want some? Because I'm set free. There ain't no wrong with the hamburger. It's a good hamburger. She comes in, and she joins me in eating the hamburger. What's happening? She believes that eating the hamburger is wrong, and then she eats the hamburger, a hamburger which had absolutely no power whatsoever to do anything wrong in her life. It's just hamburger. She's got the doubt. She's got the condemnation. She's got the stumbling block in front of her. Do you see that? So what's happening? When we are doing things that are misaligned to our belief system, a mis that misalignment creates doubt or condemnation in the thing that we are doing. And so this is a place where the kingdom does this all kinds of times. When somebody, when I have something that I believe, and then in order for me and Paul to be friends, Paul has to do things my way to hang out with me. He doesn't believe that's the right way to do it. Or he'd already do it that way. Now I put this demand upon him to do something maybe religious or something that I have a revelation about for the, of, the, of the kingdom. Before he has a revelation, I put that upon him. Now he's doing it, but he's doing it with all kinds of doubt. Like if, for example, this, we, we, when we were young in the Lord, we had this problem all the time. And I think Blake even referred to it while he was here this weekend. You know, you got this, got a, 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 you know, a health problem and the big debate. Do you, go to the, do you go to the doctor? Do you not go to the doctor? Do you take the penicillin? Do you not take the penicillin? Do you take the this? Do you, do you go to a naturopath? Do you believe God? Do you sleep in the church? Do you buy another Bible? Do you sleep on the Bible? Whatever. What do you do under that circumstance? It's a big problem because we've created, we don't understand this dynamic of actually creating doubt in a person when you put a high spiritual demand on them that they're not at yet in that particular area. Now, you could have a huge spiritual ability over here in finances and a crappy one when it comes, excuse me, a not so good one when it comes to health and healing. And so somebody now runs into, a, runs into a situation and they don't have any topsoil. They got no ground, no foundation underneath that. But they go to the, we don't go to a doctor church. Yeah. What happens? Now they go home. This is a serious problem. Can you already see where the sentence is going? 
And so now we have this problem where we are putting a spiritual demand upon somebody or setting a high watermark here for somebody who doesn't have that revelation. And, this, and the results are not good. Right? When I first came into the kingdom, this is a financial thing. I first came into the kingdom, as you, you know, for all of my, you know, cool lifestyle that I had before, we were doing okay. And then I come into the kingdom and people tell you about walking by faith and just, you know, forget the job and everything's cool. You know, just go out on your roam, which I wanted to do anyways, and all of these things. And it was like, then, but I'm thinking, you know, I have been to a Kenneth Copeland conference, so I am like, I am there, okay? I don't know where y'all are at. But I am the possessor of heaven and earth right here. Right? You do not, if you heard anything about my story, it didn't quite go like that. Because I had got a high watermark, but then when I came into actually living like this, I didn't have the belief system that supported my decisions because they weren't my decisions. They were things that I thought, well, if I'm going to be a Christian, I should live like this. What happened was, if you ask my wife, you know, 10 years of doubt situations were constantly destroying the word of God that really was in my heart. I really, you know, that's not the problem. The faith was there. I, you know, we had lots of activity building the faith. The problem was I didn't know how to doubt not when the bill came. I didn't know how to doubt not when they get the lawyer thing, they're going to take your house away in 45 days. That's got, that's got a lot of emotional content to it. And if you don't know how to deal with that situation, then your supernatural power, which is resident on the inside of you, just won't be fixing a problem. And even as I say that, I can put doubt in your heart because now you're wondering, well, I wonder if I doubt. So I should doubt that the fact that I doubt. Or should I? See how this problem goes? Because it's very difficult to understand how do we do this? How do we actually understand how to grow in the kingdom but not put doubt into the lives of other people? Has it come to that, Liz? Not to put doubt into the lives of other people. So here's what I want you to do. I'm just going to give you this because Liz is kicking me out. But I, I want to give you a little bit of a plan at least to begin to work with this week before until we're back together again that honestly we can start building a culture that doesn't produce doubt, right? Remember when I wrote UBU on the, on the screen last time, on the whiteboard last time I was here, and everybody gasped? That's what we have to do. We have to be able to step into a world where we understand trying to govern somebody's activity on the outside doesn't work. If I see unrighteousness in your life, I don't come to you and tell you, you should stop doing that unrighteous thing. I'm just going to let that settle for a moment. Because if I come to you, if, if you see me having sugar in my coffee out there, and you come and tell me all the 17 reasons why I shouldn't be eating sugar, and I drink the coffee anyhow, li listen, and that's a very simple example, but we do this. Now, I'm not saying that I shouldn't get some maturity and I should not drink the sugar. But I sh you, sh you can't come in the moment. You know, as I've got the half a cup down my throat and everybody comes and hands me brochures on what's wrong with coffee and cream and, you know, paper cups and sugar and 
the water and that you know the, 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 everything in this concoction that I'm about to pour down my throat has the potential to kill me on the spot what will you listen we do this and this is where we have got we have got to develop a culture where we are not promoting the virus of doubt here's what I'm gonna give you for today number one come away what I mean by come away is don't talk about the things that are going on in somebody's life when you see them going on in their life. Oftentimes, emotional reactions to a situation produce this the force of doubt in somebody's life. So I'm thinking I'm gonna, I think here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna quit my job and I'm gonna live by faith. And we jump all over that person to say, that's going to be a really bad thing for you to do. Well, you don't know that. You maybe had a bad experience, but that doesn't mean you should put your bad experience on them. And we talked, that's where, that's where doubt comes from, is bad experiences. But you could say to that person, you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to take you out for breakfast. And then when you're at breakfast, you're not going to talk to that person about all the things that they should be afraid of. You talk to those people about how you can support them and help them to make the decision in a timely manner when they are prepared and ready for all of that. And follow the, the, the process of confirming that this is really what the Holy Spirit said. It's like I was, you know, I was talking, we're talking about prophetic, you know, it's just because Blake was here and his team was here, which we're so blessed by. You know, I can, t I can judge the maturity of a Christian by how they respond to a prophetic word. First of all, do you need one? Right? Or do you, are you believing God for, the, for Ian to call you out? Or are you believing God for Ian to call everybody else out? That's a starter right there. Because if, if you talk to the Lord already, then you don't need a prophetic word. Right? The people who don't know that God loves them or calls them or talks to them, they need the prophetic word. Right? Then once you get a prophetic word, what do you do with that? Do you go and run out and, you know, just go, go do it all in your own strength? You know, what you start in the spirit, you finish in the flesh? Or do you take it before the Lord? You know, you're content with your life anyways, and you love God and love everything, and it's so cool, and if God's talking, I'm listening, but I'm not in a rush. I really need to. Do you submit it to your leader or your mentor or your person that's in your life? Do you, do you take it to that person or you say, no, they're just going to probably, you know, squash me, so I'm not going to take that, that. See, that's all of that stuff is in there. Rather than you're talking to that person and you're going to build that person's faith and confidence so that as they move forward into the instruction of the Lord, as they move forward in the scripture that they're working on or the belief that they're working on, that you can push them forward with your faith. You can help them and empower them at the same time as you're giving them instruction, but not instruction in a certain way that you're creating fear in them. Right? Like even when you take a look, going back to the food thing, when I deal with the food, you know, I would say to, you know, people would ask me, you know, how come you eat healthy? Don't you believe God? And I said, well, listen, I plan to live to be 120. That's why I eat healthy. I don't eat healthy because I'm scared I'm going to die young. Do you see the difference? 
One way is action rooted in fear and dread. The other one is exactly the same action rooted in faith and hope. Do you see the difference? When you are, when you are working with yourself, first of all, you never do anything in doubt. Even if you have to stop in the middle of what you're doing. I had pea meal bacon for breakfast today. That's pork. So you know the scriptures, you know the, 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 the cloven hoof. Not supposed to eat that pork stuff. But I know it's all good. So I got to make sure if I'm going to eat the pea meal that I'm not going to eat the pea meal in fear. Does that make sense to everybody? And if I do feel the doubt, I stop. And I get myself to the place where I understand that I'm, I'm good. I'm in faith as I am doing this. Getting on the highway. If I'm in fear, if I'm in dread, if I have doubt, stop, stop, you know, pull over and deal with the doubt. Learn to develop the muscle of not doubt so that no matter what it is that you're doing in the now, okay, this is the key to it. Doubt is all about what are you thinking about right now and aligning that with what you know to be the truth. If you even find yourself doing something that you maybe don't have a full revelation of, do you have a revelation of the fact that Jesus is Lord? He's the supreme commander. He knows the truth. And if you're standing on him, like John chapter 14 starts, you believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus speaking. Align yourself to the fact that you know that this is the right thing to do. If you're, like for example, if you're growing in tithing and you're believing God for a revelation of tithing, in the process, you may feel that you have doubt as you're about to put your check in your envelope. And as you do that, you, you stop and deal with the doubt. Even if all you can do at that moment is say, I know Jesus said this is a good thing to do, so I'm gonna re I refuse any of that doubt. I know that doubt is all about just past experiences. Maybe there's woundedness, maybe there's failure, maybe there's lack in my life, but, and I'm gonna deal with all of that, say that's not part of my, my experience anymore. I'm, I'm not aligning myself to something that I think is a good idea. I'm aligning myself to the thing that Jesus said is a good idea. If I'm gonna pray for somebody at the altar and that person's, you know, got their head in their hands, now it's, wait a minute, I'm not gonna pray as a human being in that situation. I'm gonna doubt all over the place if I do that. But if I feel like, okay, now I can align myself with Jesus. He said that believers lay hands on the sick and they recover. And I just stop for a moment, interrupt the doubt and let that roll in my soul until I can feel the alignment of that thing on the inside. Once I can feel the alignment, literally in that nanosecond, you lay your hands on that person. You may doubt five minutes from now. Don't worry about five minutes from now. Deal with that doubt later in five minutes. Right now, align your soul and pray for that person. What you're going to see is you're going to see the release of an increasing amount of supernatural power going through your life based on the truth that you know, even if that revelation isn't fully formed on the inside of you. 
This is why Jesus is Lord is the beginning of the journey. I've got to start by saying Jesus is the, the master. He's, he knows what the truth is. And when I align myself to him, read it in the Bible, I know it's true. At least I know that it is true. I may not believe it yet, but I know it is true. You'd be surprised at how powerful that is on the inside of a person who just read the scripture this morning. That's why people who first get saved, they got like supernatural power coming out of their nose. They can believe for stuff and they get it. But then we got to stick around for a while and learn to doubt. And then now we can't do it anymore. They just go, Jesus said I can do this. Okay. And they do it. That's what each one of us can do. I just have to align myself in underneath that flow. Once I align myself into that, Shazam, the power is released. So write this down. Doubt not is now. You don't have to worry about doubting tomorrow. You only have to worry about not doubting right now. When you pray for situations in your life and other people's lives, you just have to stop the doubt at the moment that you pray. Because we read that in, 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 in the Luke 11, Matthew 21. If you, when you say, if you believe and doubt not, you'll have what you say. The problem is, is that we haven't learned how to maintain that alignment on the inside of us. Does that make some sense, everybody? Okay, Liz, you win. Put your hand over your heart and say, Jesus, I know this factor, doubt not, is super important. It's a skill, it's a muscle that I need. And so Holy Spirit, I'm asking you, teach me to doubt not. Teach me how to stand in every single moment and do business with any doubt that I may be feeling in any area of my life in that specific moment. Because I declare right now, in every one of my moments, I will doubt not. In Jesus' name. In Jesus